0: The Money Show.
1: Shapeshifters. Stefano Marani is the chief executive at Renogen. Renogen is a listed company that taps helium and natural gas uh, from various reserves, but particularly helium from the old free state gold fields. um, And he's been involved in the sector for some time. He's got lots of experience in structured finance and advisory, and he worked at Deutsche Bank and Morgan Stanley in London. So he's a banker by training, and, and now finds himself at the helm of a renewable gas business stefano marani nice to have you on the money show this evening just give us a quick picture please if you would about this resource of helium that lives under the ground in the old gold mines of the free state welcome virginia heneman that part of the world i think
0: good evening bruce thanks for having me it's uh it's it's a fascinating story and geologically insanely unique and it's The the reason that the helium is there is really the same reason that the gold is there and why the southern part of Africa is as endowed with minerals as it is. And it's really due to just this enormous occurrence of asteroid strikes starting about 3.8 billion years ago and then more recently the Fort Dome. And, uh, And as a result of all of these asteroids literally bringing everything that the world likes to mine, all conglomerated in this tiny little area in the Free State, We've got, as a result of all of these these cosmological and geological consequences, we've got an inordinate amount of helium and gas, which is which is in pretty rare supply right now. So we find ourselves with with a large number of tailwinds. it's a, it's it's an incredible story for the country.
1: So the helium's always been there. I mean, the, the Free State Goldfields, the gold, when, when the, Fredaf- the the theory goes that, or uh, well, the science tells us, that when the asteroid that became the Ford Dome hit the Earth, it, it, did, it did a couple of things. It pushed up the the, the geology that created the Witwatersrand, and it then on the other side pushed up the geology that became Valcorman, Virginia, and Hennemann, Uh the, the Free State gold fields. Um, and uh, it pushed the gold ore bodies that were deep beneath the surface to the surface, which enabled their discovery. Um, And and so that's great. But how did the helium get in there? Where does the helium come from?
0: So helium is a byproduct of radioactive decay. So you take uranium-238 and you leave it to cook for for a short period of around 2 billion years. And it goes from uranium-238 down to 235, eventually becoming lead, and it spits out eight helium atoms along the way. So the reason that helium is so rare is because you really need a combination of four things for helium to be there. Firstly, you need a hydrocarbon source in order to become a carrier for the gas. You need an inordinate amount of uranium. You need a trap for the helium because remember helium escapes everything, which is why you buy your kid a party balloon and the next day it's not floating. Now, whilst it's pretty easy to get through a little elastic rubber band, helium also escapes steel. So it's it's pretty difficult to trap the stuff for long periods of time. So you need a good seal And then you need time and you need a long, long period of time. And this is where it's quite handy that our tectonic plate is the oldest tectonic plate on Earth because it's the only one that hasn't circulated through the mantle, which is why if you look at the Michalisburg, the Michalisburg is close to four billion years old. Whereas you look at Canada and the U.S. and their tectonic plate is probably only about 1.5 billion. So we've we've had the we've had the combination of a huge amount of uranium, probably where we are. They, they're estimating about 600 million metric tons of uranium just underneath where we are in Velcom and uh, Velcom and Tillerson. And it's been there for 2 billion years and it's been trapped underneath this doleritic cap. But also, most importantly, when the Frederford dome hit, when the Frederford asteroid, sorry, when the, that asteroid hit, it hit at the exact right time that life had just formed on Earth. So we had these early stromatolites, which caused the largest pollution event in world's history. The the atmosphere back then was about 80% carbon dioxide. Stromatolites appeared. Stromatolites then converted that carbon dioxide into fossils and into fossil fuels, which we're mining today. And now we find CO2 in our atmosphere at a paltry little 0.05% compared to the 80% before. But those stromatolites were trapped underground and they evolved to their surroundings and now they they consume carbon in the rocks and they produce methane and that methane carries the helium up to the surface and, mine. and that's what we mine that's where we get the LNG from and the helium
1: but now methane was the enemy of gold mining methane is the enemy of gold mining canaries in the coal mines and um, you know that Absolutely. gas is toxic to, hu- to humanity so it's been tapped off for as long as people have been mining in those areas and burnt off so we've burnt off probably billions of dollars worth of, of methane and helium over an extended period of time
0: Absolutely, we have. Uh, the only thing that I'd correct you on over there, uh, Bruce is mm. actually, methane is not toxic to humans at all. it's it's completely inert to humans. your your body produces methane. If it were toxic, you'd be dead
1: this is this this i believe to be true uh, but it, it but it is explosive and that's why it's dangerous so um, Correct. The, Correct. um uh, that that's why it was it was removed from the mining process and burnt off but lots of helium so how then do you sort of trip across uh, trip over helium and realize that there is a valuable resource in an area which has become quite despondent about the future i mean that that whole part of um the 70s were the heyday of gold in south africa and of course those were the boom times for for those areas of south africa and since then things of course um haven't gone well for that part of the world you then stumble across scientifically access this wonderful resource of helium yeah
0: i mean when when nick um the 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 co-founder of the business and i stumbled across this we 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 bought the asset back in 2012 and we, we we were literally just buying the country's only onshore petroleum production right and that was the asset no one knew how much gas was there it had no proven reserve um and so we 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 got we got the we got the asset at a pretty good price but we were literally just going to produce a paltry little 1.4 megawatts of power for one of the neighboring mines that was that was the sole extent of the deal um, and that was because the previous owners hadn't shown any readings of helium in the gas and when it came time to sign the power purchase agreement with a neighboring mine the um the company that was going to rent the generators to us requested an urgent gas sample. And so we drove down to Virginia and we went and collected gas in our in our little tinfoil pup sucks and uh filled them up and drove them back up to Afrox here in Joburg. And we took samples and uh, and all of a sudden the gas samples were, which previously were just ninety percent methane and ten percent nitrogen, all of a sudden there was two percent to four percent helium in all of these samples. And then we realized that the previous owners had had these pop sacks in the back of their pickups for about a month, and so the helium had escaped, and so they never knew what they had, and uh, bingo, the rest is the rest is kind of history. We canceled the, uh, the, the signing of the power purchase agreement, and we embarked on a journey which has taken us about 10 years to build the country's first commercial LNG plant, and, and now the first uh, LNG, well, helium liquefier, and it'll put South Africa on the map as the eighth helium-producing um, country in the world. But, you know, uh, I mean, to, uh, to your point, and mm. Sorry, go for it.
1: Now, 2 to 4% yield, is that significant? I mean, is that by global helium standards a good dose of helium to, to be able to extract?
0: Let me put it this way. So Qatar produces about 20% of the world's helium. Qatar extracts at an average concentration of about 0.01%. <laughs>
1: okay, so that's good.
0: It's good. Um, the... The United States are the absolute helium gods. They produce more than 50% of the world's helium. They, At one point, they were producing 100% of the world's helium. They, They are the helium rock stars, and they have an aggregate of 0.35%. Our average is over 3%, and our highest well that we've recorded to date is 12%. Now, to put that in context, here's a fun fact for you. Let's assume that you take one of helium's principal purposes, which is as a propellant in rockets, and you take Falcon 9, for example. The amount of helium that it takes to launch Falcon 9, if you had to calculate the associated carbon footprint that the helium alone, forget the rest of the rocket, forget the fuel, forget the hydrogen, the energy, all of that stuff, if you just look at the associated carbon footprint of extracting the helium, if you had to if you had to launch that rocket using Qatari helium, the helium alone would produce a carbon footprint of one point one million metric tons of CO two per rocket launch. Whereas by contrast, the Renogen field is a paltry little five thousand tons. So from an environmental perspective, this is also quite an important okay. find.
1: And and we need to talk more about the Stefano Morani, Chief Executive at Renagen, a science lesson, a money lesson, a mining lesson, many lessons, Um, with Stefano Morani this evening. More with him in a moment. The Money Show, Shapeshifters. So for years, the owners of Free State Gold Mines have been burning off helium. Very valuable stuff. Um, and now, Renogen, by mistake, I mean, this is like your Naspers 10-cent uh, moments. Stefano Morani, a chief executive at Renogen. You buy an asset, and by mistake, actually, it's worth a hell of a lot more than you ever imagined possible. It was, dare I suggest, a stroke of luck. Was there some luck involved?
0: Uh, look, <clears throat> it's uh, there's, there's always luck involved with these things, right? I think... Um, I think uh, I read I read somewhere once I think it might have been Malcolm Gladwell that uh, that success is is essentially ninety percent luck and ten percent being prepared to take the opportunity when it presents itself. So so yes, uh, yeah I'm, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth in this case. But you know the previous owners had had it for many years. Um, the gas had always been there and no one decided to monetize it. We've we've embarked on a journey. And we've created a business model over here which is incredibly unique. And from a methane perspective, this is truly one of the one of the most vertically integrated gas companies on the planet. And this is this is what we've created over the last 10 years. So much so that we've been getting phone calls from companies in Argentina and companies in India to assist them on a journey to replicate the same kind of business model that we have over here and a rollout plan for stranded gas in in their countries. So you know, it's a uh, it's it's an inordinate amount of luck, and I'm definitely not looking that gift horse in the mouth. But uh, but it also comes with a lot of planning, a lot of preparation, a huge amount of uh, of blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, and you know, pounding the pavements and trying to teach people what helium is. Good lord, that was not an easy that was not an easy <laughs> task.
1: How much of a reserve have you got? What's it worth? Any ideas? Really? Yeah. Oh big is the short answer?
0: Um, so to try and, to try and throw some numbers out there that, that people can, can kind of equate to, um, let's put it this way. The, the 2p numbers, so again I, I put out an acronym over there, but the, um, but the, um, the reservoir engineers classify these things according to statistical models and they say that the, that the proven methane underground, the, the stuff that you can extract, sits at around 400 billion cubic feet of methane. Now, that is 400,000 petajoules, and the city of Johannesburg consumes 80 petajoules a year. So it's, the methane is big. By contrast, the helium is gargantuan. That's 13.2 uh, – sorry, 13.6 billion cubic feet of helium at a proven level. The world consumes 7 billion per annum. So if we had to supply, say, 10% of the world, the, uh, this would our proven reserve would vastly exceed – um our production right capabilities and then you put into context that our proven reserve is only 14 percent of our acreage there's a lot down there incidentally if you want a quick back back of the batch box calculation i told you there's 13.6 billion cubic feet of helium 1 billion cubic feet of helium has a surface value of 250 million us dollars got you
1: how what would what do you have to do to beneficiate the helium i mean you it it, it oozes fizzes escapes like gas out of the ground Uh, how do you catch it and then preserve it in a way that it doesn't escape
0: this is this is where the science lesson gets really fun So you take it out the ground, you scrub it of all of its impurities, and the impurities are hydrogen and neon and carbon carbon dioxide. So you take that stuff out. That's pretty simple. Then you're left with just methane, nitrogen, and helium. You supercool it to minus 162 degrees Celsius. Now, bearing in mind, dry ice is only minus 70. So now you're starting to get down to some super cold temperatures. At minus 162, the methane falls out, and that's what we call LNG. That gets put into giant tanks, and we put them into trucks, and then we send them off to the market. And our customers use them as a substitute for diesel in their trucks. A panel which you actually you um, yep. moderated for us. So the uh, that LNG goes off, and that that substitutes diesel. The trucks save an inordinate amount of money, and we save the planet. And everyone goes off happily to the sunset because we're saving we're saving the atmosphere. the The remaining gas is now half nitrogen, half helium. You take that gas at minus 195, and then you take it down at minus 162. You take it down to a further minus 195 Celsius. At that point, the nitrogen falls out as liquid nitrogen, and you're left with absolutely pure helium, laboratory grade, except that it's still in gaseous phase at minus 195 degrees Celsius. You then send that through an inordinate number of processes with these fantastical little gadgets that cost like 80,000 euros for a turbine the size of my pinky nail. And that gets the helium down to minus 269 degrees Celsius. And then it's liquid. Then you pour it into a truck and you've got 45 days to get it to the customer.
1: Where are your customers? Because this is not something that we're ready for in South Africa, I don't think.
0: No, our our little pilot project, which which is a which is a tiny tiny little project by by global standards, will produce a paltry little 350 kilograms of helium per day, and that's already one and a half times the entire country's consumption. So South Africa does not use that much helium. the The biggest customers are the United States, Europe, China, and Japan, and that's because of its uses. It's predominantly used in MRIs, in rocket launches, and in high-end electronic manufacturing so you can't make cell phones tvs you can't make fiber optic cables basically any single creature feature that you enjoy today take helium away and it disappears off the face of the planet and you've got no ability to manufacture it so it's it's pretty important
1: so, so then, so at the moment you're producing three hundred and fifty kilograms of the stuff a day, um, or Great. have you expanded? So, so what is what are you heading towards? And do you have markets set up and ready and and waiting to to buy the stuff from you?
0: Yeah, so we uh, we turn the first plant on. We go into hot commissioning in December. So, hot commissioning is just basically a fancy word for saying that we we run some gas through the plant to make sure that everything that we have built works. Then in uh, in January January we turn it on and we start cooling the thing down. February we start filling our tanks and February March we're in commercial operation, selling helium and LNG to customers. Um, then more recently we announced, uh, following the discovery as to how much gas was underground, we've done the full feasibility study on what our second plant will look like. So this was this was the. This was the order, for want of a better, uh, better description. This is a little pilot phase, just to see if we could, if we could, uh, if we could turn it on in, in that part of the world. Now that we know that we can do it, now we're going for the big boy, and the big boy is a uh, is a 12 billion rand project, and that will produce five tons of helium per day. Five tons is about eight percent of the entire planet's helium consumption, and it will produce some a little bit over 500 tons. Of lng per day which is a significant amount of energy in terms of the customers that you'd asked about they're some of the biggest gas companies in the world lindy listed on the new york stock exchange i think they've got a market cap of in excess of 130 billion us mm. dollars um messer the Euro- europe's biggest uh, gas company um ec auto so chances are from 2024 onwards if you buy a german luxury vehicle the airbags will all have helium from the free state um it's 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 blue chip international customers like that that we've that we've pre-sold the helium from the phase two project. And that phase two project we're anticipating a turn on date in twenty twenty four.
1: Astonishing story. Stefano Morani, Chief Executive at Renogen. That is amazing.